The prophet Jeremiah says, Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water, and my eyes a fountain of tears, so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. It's back. Back with a vengeance. Perhaps it never went away. Perhaps, tragically, it has never gone away, the ugly shame of anti-Semitism. It has smeared and stained the pages of history for generations, and it's back, here in Europe, here in Switzerland. The Guardian newspaper reports anti-Semitism is rising sharply across Europe, experts have said, as France reported a 74% increase in the number of offences against Jews last year. And Germany said the number of violent anti-Semitic attacks has surged by more than 60%. In 2018, the Swiss Federation of Jewish Communities External Link, SIG, registered 42 anti-Semitic incidents in German-speaking Switzerland, not counting online threats or abuse. In French-speaking Switzerland... The CICAD counted 174 incidents of Jewish hatred in the same period. Nearly two-thirds of those took place on social networks. It's back. Maybe it never went away. Over the years, throughout the centuries, it must have been unspeakably grim being a Jew. Over the unfolding course of history, they have encountered Prejudice and pogroms, anti-Semitism and slaughter, threat, danger and death accompanied them, and Holocaust endangered their very existence. And what of faith in all of that? What of God in the stench of death? Could his presence in any way, in any sense, be discerned through the white flakes that floated down with a terrible softness? from the chimneys of the death camps? The Bible is disarmingly direct and honest. In it, the pain of the Jews is palpable. The lament for suffering moans through the pages of Scripture. Whatever their religion is, however their faith is expressed, it is no chocolate box religion, no cuddly puppy religion. My joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick. Hark the cry of my poor people, says Jeremiah, from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of my people, I am hurt. I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. For the Jews, their faith, their identity, were indeed hammered out on the anvil of history. They were wandering tribes, rootless and homeless. They found brief respite in Egypt, only for that moment to, to turn into the nightmare, shame and suffering of slavery. Escape from Egypt meant decades travelling the inhospitable wilderness, enduring drought, famine, disease and attack. Sporadic victories were separated by occasional defeats. And when they did establish themselves in a land they called their own, that settlement brought as many problems as blessings. The land was hard, the surrounding nations hostile, 
the dangers constant. While the internal life of the nation was beset by corrupt kings, insurrections, bloody wars and deep insecurities. And then when the great empires around the region and beyond flexed their muscles and thundered across the pages of history, Israel, divided and weak, became a cockpit and a conduit for the plundering armies of Persia and Greece and Rome. There was the shame of exile, the brief hope of return and reconstruction, only for that fleeting moment to be swallowed up in more oppression, occupation, subjugation, humiliation. The great city of Jerusalem reduced to ashes, rebuilt only to be razed to the ground once more, and the people scattered in a diaspora that created the sad reality of the wandering Jew, nowhere to call home, vulnerable to attack, identified and labelled, ghettoed and disdained. There are few more beautiful cities in the world than Venice, but turn a corner from the main canal system and you'll find yourself in the ghetto, where the Jews were segregated, and when fancy took the citizens, blamed and persecuted. Prague is a city full of fun and music, energy and youthful vigour, but tourists are encouraged to tear themselves away from the stag-do's and the hen-parties long enough to visit the strangely named Old New Synagogue, where for centuries the Jews have gathered, sometimes in the face of appalling violence, to worship in their traditional forms and to cling stubbornly to their identity as a particular and a set-apart people, but also a people, it seemed, who were ripe for plucking, separated by prejudice, made victims, constantly under threat, viewed with suspicion, caricatured and envied, outsiders, targets. And along came the 20th century with its ultimate horror. You will not leave the Yad Vashem memorial to the Holocaust in Jerusalem unchanged. The catalogue of the dead, the ghastly photographs of things done, unspeakable inhumanities, unbearable accounts of cruelties endured. The list of a million dead children whose names are recited in a constant haunting loop. A holiday in the Greek islands is a, an unforgettable experience of beauty and blue seas, bright sunshine. And one of the most popular destinations is Rhodes, home to Falariki, where the beat goes on. But tucked in behind the square in the old town is one of the oldest synagogues in Europe, from which 1,400 or so of the island's Jews were transported to the Nazi death camps. About 100 came back, broken but alive. Even to this idyllic island, hatred of the Jews brought the smell of death. For being criminals? For being bad citizens? For being troublemakers? For being Jews. And still the ugliness features in our world. Those who would destroy Israel, drive them into the sea, are still very much with us, still hunting them down, willing their ultimate and final destruction. Death to the Jews is a shout that echoes across the Middle East. Israeli actions, overkill and insensitivity towards the rights and needs of others, 
may certainly aggravate those attitudes. And sometimes it seems that they have forgotten what it is to be a persecuted people. So readily do they turn the full measure of their military power on other vulnerable people. But hey, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean to say they aren't out to get you. And not only there, across so-called civilised Europe, where the lessons of history are supposed to have been learned, and at a price, the Jewish graveyards are still vandalised, the synagogues daubed with swastikas, and neo-Nazism marches on. And, without recourse to violence, the snide comments and the irrational suspicions still happen, the little acts of vileness that express anti-Semitism. People insist, I'm not anti-Semitic, but... Just like people who begin a sentence, I'm not a racist, but... And you just know they're going to say something racist. But we ask, as surely the Jews must ask, where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? If they're supposed to be the chosen people, they might just wish they weren't, if this is what it brings. The psalmist writes, O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the air for food, the flesh of your faithful to the wild animals of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbours, mocked and derided by those around us. Clearly there are no concessions for God's special people. What benefits there are might be hard to locate within the horror story of the nations. Yes, they have the foundations of a, a moral law that has logic, consistency and offers social cohesion. Indeed, they enjoy a unique revelation of the heart and will of God in the developing, unfolding understanding of his nature, and they serve as the cradle of Christ. They are the root of our faith. And yet, no easy ticket. Indeed, a pain that is tangible. And the question is asked, raw and terrible, as the prophet looks on the pall of smoke that rises from the ruined city of Jerusalem, or through the hiss of Zyklon B in the shower stalls of Belsen and Dachau and Auschwitz, where are you, God? Where are you, God? The force, the passion and the anguish of that recurring question should alert us to the reality that whatever faith is, it's not a guarantee that those who have it will enjoy an easy passage through life. It's surprising that people imagine still that faith might offer that kind of benefit, given the reality of the experience of men and women who trust in God but still have to deal with reality. Yet the myth persists. When, of course, faith actually aggravates the question, sharpens the stridency with which we ask, why this, why, why me, why us? Because if you think the universe is just a meaningless accident, then one more meaningless accident is simply that. It just happens to be happening to me, but it signifies nothing, it means nothing, carries no ultimate weight or worth. But if God is in my life, and in his world, and if 
he's got the whole world in his hands. What does it mean when our life seems to be falling into a black hole of grief, loss, disaster and uncertainty? Where is God now for me in this crisis? The issue is sharpened, the answer extra important, the mystery twice as dark and confusing because we believe in God and we want to find him there. So how did they hold on to it? These beleaguered, battered, brutalised Jews sent crashing by violence, misunderstanding, ignorance and sheer blind hatred. How did they hold on to faith as the crushing weight of an avalanche of prejudice swept over and through their story. The prophet Habakkuk expresses the nature of the seemingly irrational trust in God. He says, even if there are no figs on the fig tree, still I will believe. In one sense, it, it defies logic. And yet there is the logic of love and trust and loyalty that has its own dynamic, demonstrating how resilient love and faith are in the face of misfortune, hardship and mystery. The hard-nosed cynics would sneer at a faith that holds on, at a love that keeps coming back for more. How much mystery can you take, you people, before you call it a day, they wonder. Those who don't know this God we love who don't understand the unshakable nature of our loyalty towards him. It just seems daft to the unbeliever that we should be rocked by the battering of circumstance and so obviously enjoy nothing by way of concessions just because we belong to him. And yet, and yet, what's in it for me? This life of faith, this trust in God's power, nothing you could put your finger on, no magic wand waving away our worries, no free pass through the valley full of shadows, no special abonnement guaranteeing peace in our time, prosperity and an easy passage. Anyone who naively imagines that all the people who gather for worship throughout the world Sunday by Sunday do so because life has gone sweetly, easily and well for them, needs to sit down and talk for a while with those whose praises fill the churches of our land and hear their stories, meet the indomitable courage in the face of cruelty and upheaval, be amazed at the miracle that happens every time a bird with broken wings finds the faith, the trust and the love to sing, to pray and to wait quietly upon the Lord. There is not a congregation in the land that is made up of people who have sailed through life, who have spent the decades skipping merrily through the daisies. There have been broken hearts, Brave spirits, huge disappointments, grievous hurts, cruel circumstances, bitter betrayals. And yet they choose to be here. They still want to be here and nowhere else will do. Nowhere else will do. They want this God and none other will do. This is tough love. This is real faith. The writer Karen Armstrong puts it this way. Yes, she writes, 
It is also true that even in Auschwitz, some Jews continued to study the Talmud and observe the traditional festivals, not because they hoped that God would rescue them, but because it made sense. There is a story, she says, that one day in Auschwitz, a group of Jews put God on trial. They charged him with cruelty and betrayal. Like Job, they found no consolation in the usual trite answers to the problem of evil and suffering in the midst of this current obscenity that was Auschwitz. They could find no excuse for God, no extenuating circumstances. So they found him guilty, 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 and presumably worthy of death. The rabbi pronounced the verdict. Then he looked up and said that the trial was over. It was time for the evening prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.